Good morning. It's my uh, privilege to introduce to you Josh Sofair. Uh, Josh has been here about two and a half years ago. Josh uh, is a full-time missionary with Jews for Jesus, and he lives in a little suburb just west of Enid called Los Angeles, just a little bit further to the west. He spent all of his time uh, in the last 25 years as a full-time missionary with Jews for Jesus, either in New York City or Los Angeles. And once a year, he makes a missionary trip, kind of a trek to Oklahoma and to, to share the, the ministry of Jews for Jesus. The one thing he wanted to see when he first came out here, now he's been coming for 10 years in a row, he wanted to see an armadillo. And okay, he got to see an armadillo. Uh, it wasn't the big excitement that he thought it was going to be. Josh is in such a demand during this week that he takes off that we had to schedule him more than two years in advance to get him today, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, and we are so excited to, to have him here. Please make him feel welcome, Josh Sofair. All right, there we go. Okay, so it's, uh, it's great for me to, uh, to be here and to, to come back and to see you. I've been looking forward to being with you over the last uh, couple of months as I've been thinking about coming to Oklahoma. And yes, I did see an armadillo. It's a whole family of them. Uh, and yeah, they're okay. You know, kind of interesting, you know. But for a city guy like me, an armadillo is definitely an interesting uh, new kind of thing. So uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing this morning and help you understand uh, these things that are set up here. So what we're going to do tonight, or this morning, is we're going to be talking about Passover uh, and how Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples and how we can take some of the things that Jesus did at that Passover meal, we already bring them into our life. This is the place where Jesus instituted communion. But to help you understand some of the background of what was going on, what did Jesus do at that Passover? What was it like? What were the different things going on? And what was the context behind the things that he said about himself? and why he chose Passover as the platform for that ministry that he had. So I know some of you have celebrated Passover before. How many of you ever done a Passover? All right, a couple of you, not many. Most of you, this will be new experience, but I will tell you for everyone, there is one visual image of Passover that we all have burned into our corporate memories and that's, uh, if, there we go, that image right there, right? You've seen that before somewhere? Everywhere, right? This is Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. And so this is what Leonardo da Vinci thought the Last Supper was going to look like. So Jesus is there, right, and this long table. Somehow they were all sitting on one side of the table, but that, you know, works for the painting, I guess. Um, but Da Vinci painted something a little bit interesting. You can see it in the next slide there. 
So right at the end of the table, there's a few things that Jesus and the disciples are eating, right? What do you see on the table? Bread, good. Big, fluffy, white loaves of bread. It's supposed to be this, okay? This is matzah. This is unleavened bread. This is what we eat on Passover. It looks a little bit like cardboard. It tastes a little bit like cardboard, okay? Uh, we, uh, we eat this for a week. This is the only bread that we can eat for a week. We call it the bread of affliction. You eat it for a week, and you will probably end up calling it the bread of affliction too, okay? So, uh, but there's something else in the, in the painting um, there, and you can see the plate that he's got in front. It's a little hard to tell in this image, but what that is, is it's a piece of fish. And da Vinci thought that Jesus and the disciples were eating fish on the Passover meal, and why did they do that? Well, da Vinci thought that Jesus, you know, was a good Catholic, and so what else would people do but eat fish on Friday night before Easter, right? So what da Vinci did in the Passover meal is not quite right, but what da Vinci did is something that many of us do, is that when we look at the Bible, we look at the story of Jesus, we read these things, we see them really through our own lenses, our own kind of glasses. And so what I want to do for you tonight, or this morning, is help you understand a little bit about what was going on during Jesus's life uh, those 2,000 years ago. His world was extremely different than ours, and so I want to help you understand that. I want to also help you understand how Jewish people celebrate Passover today, because this is a meal that is still celebrated by almost the entire Jewish community. This year, Passover starts Friday of this coming week, of actually this week. So Friday night, Jewish people all over the world will be gathering together with their families to celebrate this memorial meal and to go through the celebration of a Passover. So what's happening now in the Jewish community is similar to the beginnings of what we read um, in the, the Gospels about Jesus and his disciples. So let's put that passage up on the screen, and let me read this for us. There we go. So this is from the book of Luke, okay? And uh, Luke, uh, by the way, all four of the Gospels or the stories of Jesus' life celebrate or talk about Jesus celebrating Passover, uh, mainly because Jesus was Jewish, as were the disciples, the writers of the New Testament. And so this would have been normal. Jesus would have celebrated Passover every year of his life, as would all the rest of the disciples. So uh, Luke records in uh, chapter 22, verses 7 through 14, these words. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay, so this is about to happen. It's probably a couple of days before. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And they said, well, behold, when you've entered a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. 
Follow him to the house that he enters. Tell the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they left and and they went and found it just as he had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Okay. So what's going on here is that Jesus and the disciples are getting ready to celebrate this memorial Passover meal. And Passover is a holiday that was done in Jesus' day about pretty much not very different than how Jewish people do it today. Passover is a a home-based holiday. This is something you celebrate with your family in your house. This is not so much a holiday that's celebrated um, with your, uh, in the synagogue. This is something done at home. All the family gathers. I know for me, growing up in a Jewish home, this was our big holiday of the year. This was the holiday that all the family would fly from around the country to get together, celebrate Passover. And so this is done in the home. And as you celebrate it, there's a variety of different things that that you you do. So so the extended family is part of this. Uh, There's there's, uh, parts for children, so the children are a part of this and all. And so the, uh, the celebration of the Passover is uh, has a name it's called a seder so seder is a hebrew word that means order because the celebration of passover follows a specific order of service and that order is recorded in this book or a book like this called a haggadah and that means the telling so the service or the order that we celebrate today is about What Jesus did is about 75% of what we celebrate today. There's a few things that are done on the Passover table in Jewish families today that happened or included a little bit after Jesus' death, but most of it's there. In the book of Exodus, we were told that on a specific day, the 15th day of the first month, uh, in the Jewish calendar, the month of Nisan, we would celebrate Passover, we should eat bitter herbs, we should eat unleavened bread, we should eat lamb and tell the story. And so, as a result of that, the traditions around the Passover grew and developed into this Passover Seder that, we're gonna, that I'm going to help you uh, lead you through today. And this is what Jesus and his disciples were preparing for in the book of Luke. So, there are some different items that, that we, we do to prepare and different things. So the first preparation is that we make sure that there's no leaven in the house. Okay, there's no yeast. Passover is for a week, we don't eat anything that has any leaven or yeast. So just in case you don't forget, you know, make yourself a bowl of cereal in the morning. So all the leaven and all the yeast has to have be taken out of the house. And it's a pretty big undertaking. So there's a pretty major spring cleaning that goes on. So this happens over the course of the few weeks before, East, or before Passover. And so the, the house is cleansed of leaven. That was probably some of what the disciples were doing. 
And, uh, and each adult at the table will wear uh, some different, usually the men wear some different garments. Sometimes uh, a, a white robe is kind of worn in, in some families. In our family, we would just wear a white yarmulke or a kippah. This is a traditional head covering that Jewish men wear. You see these, um, many of you have seen these before. A lot of times they're knitted. You know, they're kind of small and knitted and um, you know, uh, men will wear these and they usually clip them on. So for me, that's been a problem lately, okay? So, so this one is a nice big one and it just kind of stays there and doesn't go anywhere. So, um, so as I said, Passover is a family holiday. So there are going to be a variety of different things here that we're going to do and different things that we eat and taste and so uh, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think, but if there's someone here that feels uh, interested and they want to come and participate, there is, uh, I might uh, ask if there is a, a volunteer or two who would like to come up and try some of these things and help me as I'm going through and doing this. Anyone so moved? Okay, I'll give you another chance. Think about it for a couple of minutes. All right. So, Okay. Oh, you want to come up? All right. Here we go. You're not scared? You don't know what I'm going to do. Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. So you can have a seat there. All right. So, as I said, Passover is this uh, uh, holiday, this family holiday. And what happens is it starts with three steps of sanctification or setting apart, okay? So the, the first thing that happens, and I'm, I'm glad you're here so you can do this for me, is the lighting of the candles, okay? So go ahead, come on over and light the candles for me. It's traditional, there you go, it's traditional that a woman light the candles. The, the light of the candles is symbolic of God's presence, and so it's traditional in, in a Jewish family that it is the woman of the house that invites God's presence to be there um, and to kind of fill that space. So um, very good. You can go sit back down. And I'm going to do a variety of things here and I'll kind of be feeding you over to some different things. Okay. So the candles are lit. The blessing, there's a blessing that's said, and the blessing in Hebrew goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kiddushanu b'mitzvotov etzivanu, lehadlik ner shel yom tov. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to light the holiday lights. So the candles are lit. This separates, sanctifies the time. Okay? The next thing that happens is that the, all of the adults would wash their hands. And the hand washing is part of the preparation. Do you remember in Jesus' celebration of Passover, they also had a washing, didn't they? What did they wash? Their feet, that's right. So what Jesus did is he took this big basin, right, this bowl of water, went to each of the disciples um, with kind of with a towel and washed their feet. And in a sense, he was setting them apart for a life of service, uh, maybe something that they never would have imagined. 
And the next step of sanctification is the drinking of the first of four cups. So during the Seder, each adult drinks from their cup and refills it four times. There's nothing in these. These are just kind of for show, by the way. So, um, so each one here, they, each time you drink, it has a different significance. So the first is sanctification. The second is plagues. The third is redemption. You'll see this is the one you want to pay attention to. And the fourth is the cup of praise. But it's with this first cup, the host holds aloft, offers a blessing. And this then, after this blessing, the service now begins. And the blessing over this cup is chanted. And it goes like this. Boruch atadonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pri hagafen Amen. All right, so the candle's lit, our hands washed, first cup. Now the service has officially begun. And what happens now is the youngest child present comes forward to ask the meaning of Passover. And you're the youngest child present, by the way, for now. So, okay. So this is, this is a Haggadah. And so we would, you would go through this, and I'll show you where the four questions are. So, there you go. Hold on to that for a minute. Okay. So this part here is all Hebrew. Okay. You don't have to read that. I hope not. Okay, very good. Okay, so, uh, so these questions, the questions over here, these ones are now the, the questions that the child asks. And um, do you want to ask one of them? And sure. we'll okay, so just ask the first half of the first one there. Okay. Why is the night different from all other nights? Good. Okay, you have a good, strong voice. Okay, so why is this night different from all the other nights? Great question. Lots of things different. Jewish people do not do this all the time. And so we answer the child by basically telling the story and say this night is different because we remember that we were once slaves in Egypt. And we talk about how we went and, and what Pharaoh did and we, and we suffered and we cried out to God and God sent Moses um, and... Uh, there's usually a lot of questions, and questions and even disagreements are encouraged. Uh, I come from a family of embellishers. <laughs> <laughs> so every year, the story of Passover got a little bit longer and longer and longer. So in our family, the Passover celebration, we would start at about um, maybe 5.30 or so, we wouldn't be finished until after midnight. So it was a long, so even the story was about a two-hour kind of process. And so uh, we go through all of this, and then at the end, we say that this night ultimately is different because tonight when we remember, we're not just remembering a story, but tonight we are like the slaves. We are like the ones in Egypt. We are the ones that are crying out to God. So Passover allows us to kind of participate. Uh, it, you can think about Passover a little bit like a play. This is a little bit of the script here. And it's, it's almost a play that happens every year at your house. And you're the actors. And so you participate in this and remember. So, so one of the things that happens when we tell the story is we remember the story of the plagues and particularly the last plague. If you remember, the 10th plague 
the angel of death, right, uh, came to each of the homes of the, uh, well, the households in Egypt and would strike dead the firstborn in every house. Who here is a firstborn? Raise your hand if you're a firstborn. It's a lot, huh? All right, I'm thankfully not a firstborn. So, um, so the firstborns, all the firstborns would be killed in the land of Egypt except those families who followed a certain uh, set of instructions that God gave and, and God said, if you take a lamb and kill that lamb and take its blood and paint it on the doors of their homes, then when the angel comes and sees the blood on the doors, death will pass over that house, right? That's why we call the holiday Passover. And so the angel would come, see the blood, pass over, next house, blood, pass over. Next house, if there's no blood, the firstborn would be killed. Now, in Egypt, it's important to realize that if you were a Jewish family, you're part of God's chosen, you're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all these things. But if you didn't put blood on your door, your firstborn would also die. And similarly, if you were from a non-Jewish family and you heard about this and you kind of wanted to get in on it, and you put blood on your door, your child would be spared. And the picture is that salvation is not a matter of ethnicity. It's not a matter of how we were raised, but it's a matter of whether we are under the blood of the Lamb. That picture of redemption, of salvation, of being under the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb setting us free, that is a foundation to what this holiday of Passover is all about. And a lot of the reason why Jesus chose and wanted to celebrate Passover so eagerly before he died. Okay, so ready for the next question? Which is kind of the second half of the first paragraph there. Other nights we may eat either leavened or unleavened bread. This night only unleavened. Okay, so matzah. Why do we eat the matzah? Now, you, want, you can have a bite. I'll have some too. All right, not bad. Like a cracker. My children, who are now a little older, but they uh, get um, uh, Nutella. <laughs> and they, they buy just like a vat of Nutella, like the biggest container they can get. And they basically eat, for the week, three parts chocolate to one part matzah. That's how they make it through. So they're fans of Passover. Um, but we, 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 sell it, we eat the matzah as a way of remembering that when we left Egypt, we had to leave quickly in haste, and there wasn't enough time for the bread to rise. So that's why we eat the flat, unleavened bread. Now, one of the interesting items here on the table is this one. It's called a matzah tosh. That just means matzah bag. Inside are three pieces of matzah, each one separated from the others by a bit of cloth. And what happens now, there we go, is the head of the house reaches in, 
takes out the middle one. A blessing is said and it's broken. One half is set aside and the other half is given a very special name. It's called the Afikomen. Now the Afikomen, interestingly, is, is a Greek word, meaning that which comes later. It's not Hebrew, it's Greek. And so uh, that's what happens is it's, uh, it's part of a bit of a game that we play with the children. So the smaller piece of matzah is put in this small sack and all the kids close their eyes. The adults go somewhere in the house and the afikomen is hidden. Later it has to be found or the service can't go on. But for now, the child asks the remaining questions. So you've got a couple more there that you can ask. Other nights we may eat any kind of herbs. Tonight we must eat bitter herbs. Right. Other nights we do not dip even once. Tonight twice, parsley into salt water, and later on bitter herb into haroset? Sure. Haroset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other nights we eat sitting or reclining as we please. Tonight we should all recline. All right, so did you notice that Jesus and the disciples in Luke's account were reclining? It's because on Passover you're commanded to recline, normally to the left. So should we do this all together on a count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Uh. All right, very good. The whole church kind of went that way a little bit. Okay, so, uh, so the, the reclining is part of Passover because we show that we are free. We've been set free. Now, the other things about the bitter herbs and eating these different uh, items, part of this is from that command in Exodus, but it's also a way to remember that our life as slaves was bitter. And what we have here, this plate... It's called a Seder plate, and what normally happens is the plate just sits on the table like this and has these different foods in it, and we eat these foods, and as we do, we re-experience the story of Passover. So now, you can come around here and try some. Okay, so the first one is karpas. So we have parsley. So I'll let you grab yourself a little sprig of parsley. Okay. Now the parsley is symbolic of two things. One is uh, it's green, it's alive, it's growing. So it's, it's about life, but also the parsley is symbolic of that, that branch, the hyssop that was used to paint the blood on the doors. And so we eat it, but before we do, we dip it in salt water. Salt water represents tears. There you go. So swish, no, swish it around in there. There you go. And then, really yeah, there you go. And then you hold it up and you let it drip, and it kind of shows that we shed tears when we were slaves in Egypt. Yeah. Ready? Okay, one, two, three, go. Oh, that's salty. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> All right, so the taste of bitterness. There we go. That's the taste of slavery. All right, so the next item is an onion. All right, it keeps getting better, right? Okay, this we don't have to eat. We just look at, but the onion reminds us that the root of life as a slave is bitter. It's full of bitterness. 
And actually, this onion allows us to think about and reflect on slavery today. And as we have been set free, what sort of empathy should we have for those people who are in slavery? From everything that I've read, there are more people who live in some sort of slavery today than at any other time in human history. So what responsibility do we as free people have to them? And so this allows us to reflect on that. And the next item on the Seder plate is the marwar. This is the bitter herb itself. So this is horseradish. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so what happens is, here's a piece of matzah. Each adult takes a bit of matzah and you scoop out some of the horseradish. So there's usually a question. How much do you eat, right? Uh-huh, yeah. So here's the rule. And the rule is you're supposed to eat enough horseradish so that tears come running down your cheeks, okay? <laughs> so I'm not going to force you to do that. There is a suggestion in the Haggadah of the rabbis that they suggest that if you don't know how much to eat, you should eat the quantity of half an egg. I didn't make the rules, so don't, you know, don't get mad at me. So, okay, so here's what we'll do. I don't think this is very spicy, so it's kind of the creamy kind. So just take some. Ready? One, two, three, go. Mm. Better than the parsley. <laughs> it takes a minute. But it's spicy. It's spicy. Mm. Oh. Okay. Yeah. See, it takes like th five seconds it or so. Take much. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you ate half an egg's worth, though, that would be a lot. That would be a lot. Okay. That'd be like downing some really spicy salsa or something. Mm -hmm. Hot sauce. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So the next item is called haroset, and this is kind of a contrast. So this is made of chopped apples. Sometimes there's raisins and nuts and, and dates sometimes, honey. It's sweet, um, and it's supposed to remind you of the mortar that Pharaoh required the Jewish people to use to make bricks. So that's what that's about. So we eat this. Is that the weird word I can't pronounce? That's the weird uh -huh. word you can pronounce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so here we go. There's some more matzah. Okay. So what you do is you, you make a little sandwich with the apples and two pieces of matzah. But then to remember that making bricks was a bitter, difficult thing, you mix a little bit more horseradish in, okay, and you eat them all together. So uh, what you do, you go da-da-da, da-da-da, put it in there, and then there you go, have a bite. Mm. Ooh, ooh, okay. That makes your nose burn. It does make your nose burn. It's kind of like, uh, do they still sell Dristan? This is the Jewish version of that, whatever is the current. It so sweet and then ends up really spicy. Uh-huh, that's it. So, so, yeah, so, you know, in some ways, uh, a Jewish tradition is, is a bitter, is kind of a bitter pill to swallow, so... 
So all of these things that we typically would eat. So just so you know, during Jesus' celebration, they would have washed the hands. They would have had candles, the first cup. Um, they would have told the story. They would have had the three matzahs. They would have had some sort of greens. I don't know if it was parsley, but it was something green. They would have had something bitter. I don't know if it was... Uh, um, uh, horseradish, but it would have been something like that. And they would have had some sweet mixture, probably not apples, probably dates, because they're in the Middle East. And so these, so most of what Jesus did with his disciples, we've done now. So there's two more items, and the eating is over, by the way. So <laughs> there's two more items that uh, we eat that we, well, we don't eat, but we, we talk about these. One is an egg, and one is the bone, the, the leg bone, the shank bone of a lamb. So these two items remind us of the Passover uh, sacrifice that no longer exists. Because we remember the temple was destroyed. So the bone reminds us that there is no lamb sacrifice, and the egg reminds us that there is no Passover offering. The egg actually is eaten, and we remember the Passover with, um, it's a, we remember the destruction of the temple with great sadness. So before you eat the egg, you dip it in something. Is the egg at least cooked? It's hard boiled, usually roasted, but you, you dip it in salt water, not, not the. Oh, fun. Yeah, so there you go. So that's kind of all the things. So you're actually done. I appreciate you. Good job. Good job. All right. You are brave. So the Passover, um, what happens now is that after we eat all of the different items, um, we turn our attention to the second cup, the cup of plagues. Now, this cup I'm not sure Jesus had um, because it's not really recorded in a lot of the older Passover stories. But today we have this, and this cup is a reminder to us about the plagues and about the Egyptians. So what we do is we pour out some of the contents of this cup as we remember the plagues poured out upon the Egyptians. And we think about the Egyptians, that most everyday people in Egypt suffered because of the bad decisions of their leaders. So we pour out some of the contents as we, we, we think about their experience and, and deal with their suffering. So what happens now on the Seder is that if it feels like we've been eating a lot, now actually is when we have the meal. And so we would uh, clear the table and we would begin to um, we'd bring out uh, our regular meal. But instead of serving you a meal, I'm just going to take a step back from the Passover for just a minute, tell you a little bit about the work of Jews for Jesus. Some of you are familiar, some of you are not. Jews for Jesus is an international organization that is committed to sharing the message of Jesus, sharing the gospel with Jewish people. That's what we do. So we're in about 18 countries around the world. Uh, Two-thirds of our staff are out of the U.S., about one-third are in. Our largest work is in Israel, in Tel Aviv. We have about 35 staff working there. And we're, we're really putting a lot of effort into our work in Los Angeles. 
I was there in LA this, or sorry, in Israel this last summer for about a, a, a two-month outreach in the city of Jerusalem. So we had an outreach going on where we were sharing the gospel, talking to Jewish people about Jesus in the months of May and June last year. Uh, we had different groups. My group was uh, focused on sports and fitness. And so I led that group. Why they decided to pick the balding, middle-aged, slightly overweight guy, I don't know. I have to tell you, I have never in my life felt so ill-equipped for something that I was doing. I didn't speak Hebrew. I didn't really know the culture. I'm not in that great a shape. But we were able to bring together a team, reach out. We had uh, two soccer tournaments that we did, one for men, one for women. The women's tournament in particular was really fantastic. We, did, we had three people on our team who were trainers, and so we did a daily fitness class in the park. After about two weeks, we had between 15 and 25 people coming every time. And so then we had, you know, snacks and water afterwards so people could kind of hang out and we were sharing the gospel with Israelis. And I have to tell you, um, I, was, I, was, I was not prepared for the level of openness that existed in Israel. The level of openness about who Jesus is among everyday Israelis was phenomenal. You know, most of us, our view of Israel, how we get information about Israel, is really through the lens of politics and the news, and which is fine. But it's easy in those environments to miss the humanity of what's going on. Israel is really a place that's a very difficult place to live, full of people who are doing regular stuff, taking their kids to school, going grocery shopping, and my hope is that, and, and my prayer over these months since then, has been praying for the Jewish people of Israel to know Jesus. So there's about six and a half million Jewish people in Israel. And we estimate that the number of believers is about 0.1%. And it's a very hostile place in some ways not just to the gospel, but it's just a hostile, tough place to live. We had a conversation, one conversation just rings in my ears with a guy who grew up in a religious home in Jerusalem, ultra-Orthodox, had a deep falling out with his family, became very angry, now considers himself an atheist. And he asked me a question, and he said, you know, I have a question. You, you believe in Jesus? I said, yes. You're Jewish? I said, yes. He says, okay, good. I have a question. Christians believe something that I don't understand. And I said, oh, okay. Well, what is that? He said, grace. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I hear Christians talk about grace. I don't understand what that means. Now, religious Jews understand obligation. They understand good deeds. They understand commandments. They understand purity. They understand separation. They understand obligation and duty. But nowhere in that religious structure 
exists grace. Giving somebody something because you are loved, even if you don't deserve it. He said, I've never seen anybody do that in my world. And so when we're sharing the gospel in the Jewish community in Israel in particular, that concept of grace is foreign. And so it it creates a very interesting dynamic when you start talking about that Jesus gave us grace and by his grace we are saved. So I would ask you to pray. Pray for Israel. Pray for our work in Los Angeles. LA is one of the biggest Jewish communities in America. And so please pray that God would enable us to reach out to people, share the message of Jesus, and that God would move in their hearts to respond. Uh, I feel a great privilege to do what I do this last summer to be able to go to Jerusalem and proclaim Jesus in that city was incredible. Uh, But just please pray for us. My coming here is to share our ministry with you and share Passover. There's a table in the back. We've got some books back there and some free things. Please take a look. And if you'd like to know more about Jews for Jesus, there's a way for you to sign up for our newsletter and follow us um, on, uh, we have different things on Instagram and social media and things like that. And so you're welcome to follow us. We'd love to keep in touch with you um, and let you know what's going on. But for now, what, we, what I need to do is take a step back into the Passover because there's a section before the meal, there's the meal, and then there's a section after the meal. And so after the meal, everybody comes back to the table And we take out our Haggadahs, and we take out, then we pour again our third cup, this very important cup of redemption. But before we take this cup, something's missing. Because earlier something was broken, right? And it was put away, and now it needs to be brought back. Anyone remember what it was called? The bread the cracker, right? The afikomen. So the afikomen, all the children go and look for the afikomen, and only one discovers where it's been hidden. Once it's found, it's brought back to the head of the house, the leader of the Passover, and the child actually has to sell it back to the father. And what every child is hoping for is that their grandfather is actually leading the Passover, not their father, right? Because you can always get much more money out of your grandfather than you can out of your father. So they negotiate, they settle on a price, and the matzah is then taken out of the small pouch and broken into smaller pieces. Everybody at the table receives a broken piece of that afikomen, and that broken piece is taken along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this sound familiar? Okay, it should. This is the origin of communion. This is where communion comes from. This was the point in the Passover where Jesus instituted this. It was after the meal. And in Passover, these two items, this bread is the last thing you're supposed to eat, And this cup is, during Jesus' day, this would have been the final cup. So these two things were the final two pieces of food or drink that were consumed during the Passover meal. 
but don't miss the picture. Because this bread, the matzah, first of all is unleavened, a symbol of a sinless nature, right? But it also, remember, this bread came from the middle of a three-layered container, right? There are three pieces of matzah, and at one point earlier, the head of the house takes out the middle layer. Now, what do these matzahs represent? Well, I'm going to describe a little bit about what's going on, and I'll let you kind of try and see if you can find some connections. There are three layers, yet they form a unity, a tri-unity. On Passover, the only piece of that tri-unity that you see is the middle piece. The top piece and the bottom piece, they're still here. You can feel them, you just can't see them. What you can see is the middle piece. That middle piece is taken out, revealed, made visible, broken, wrapped in a cloth, hidden away, left there for a while, brought back, redeemed with a price, made visible again, and then broken and given out to everybody at the table. It was that piece that Jesus said, this is my body. This piece traditionally is supposed to identify, be identified with the bodies of the lambs in Egypt that were killed in order that we might be set free. In the same way, Jesus said, this is my body that has been given for you so that you might be free from your sin and death. And then he took the cup the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup often called the cup of redemptive blood. And he said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Identifying himself with the lambs in Egypt that were killed that the Jewish people might be set free. And in fact, that is why Jesus is called the Passover lamb. Because it is through his blood that we are set free. The fourth cup is called the cup of praise. At the end of the Passover, there is a recitation of Psalms 113 through 118, the great Hallel Psalms. We would uh, recite these Psalms. We have this, this last cup, um, and uh, the, the Passover is, is almost done. At the end of the Passover, there's one last cup. And this is kind of an interesting cup because... It's a cup from which no one drinks. It's called the cup of Elijah. So on Passover, every family all around the world sets a seat for Elijah. Nobody eats from that uh, plate and nobody drinks from this cup. It's all waiting for Elijah. At some point in the Seder, a child goes to the door, opens it wide, and invites Elijah to come in and share the Passover. So what's going on? Well, it's recorded by the Hebrew prophet Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, that before the coming of the Messiah, he will be preceded by the return of Elijah the prophet. So it's thought that on Passover, the redemption of the future would be ushered in on this holiday that we remember the redemption of the past. And it would be ushered in by Elijah. But where would he come? 
Nobody knows. Maybe your house. So you should set a seat for Elijah so he has something to eat and he has a place to sit and he can participate and have Passover with you. Elijah in the New Testament is identified with John the Baptist. And Jesus had said, the forerunner, the announcer of the Messiah has come, and so has the Messiah, the Savior of both Jew and Gentile. Passover is this great meal. It speaks about redemption in the past. It explains redemption. It gives us the mechanism of redemption. But it also asks us to become participants And in fact, this cup really is like an invitation. Jesus said, if you care to accept it about John, he is Elijah, the one who was to come. We're all given a response, an opportunity to respond to the message of redemption. And Passover, in many ways, gives us a perfect platform to respond. The Passover is a true historical event that happened in a, at a certain time. We're not in Egypt, but we, like the, Egyptian, or like the Jewish people in Egypt, can be in slavery. We can be trapped. We can be stuck. And what Passover tells us is that God sets free. God sets people free, still. In a minute, we're going to receive a communion. And so I'm going to ask if uh, there's someone that anyone needs to go and, and kind of prepare the items. They can, they can go now. But I will tell you that communion is an opportunity for us to remember these things. You know this. Communion is something that you do regularly. I hope by seeing this, though, that you also have another deeper another facet of the information about communion. As you receive communion today, my hope is that you can reflect on Jesus as the Passover lamb, the one who sets free. That perhaps you in your life, whether you're a believer or whether it's still a process or you're trying to figure it out or you don't buy any of it, that you would reflect on the Passover lamb. Communion is for those who have accepted him. So I would encourage you, if you're here and you're not a believer, you don't need to participate in this. But certainly consider the, the, the details of what's going on. And remember that he is the Passover lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to pray, and afterwards, uh, we'll have the men come and distribute the elements.